Well, how are you doing today? Then we've got, I don't know if it's still in the 60s. When I came little, it was like in the 66 degrees. This was awesome. This is like where I came from, San Diego. This is like, uh, this is our life down there. Uh, anyway, so glad you're here. I hope you're waking up. I just want to let you know, if you're over in the ridge, um, I can't see you, but I have spies. So I am watching you. Uh, and so I'm excited to go into our time of teaching. I'm not sure I introduced myself before, but my name is Michael, and I'm one of the pastors. So if you're here for the very first time, I want to welcome you. I just hope that God meets you in a powerful way. So uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching. Green and white note sheet inside your program. You want to pull that out? And if you guys are all set, I'm ready to go. You ready to go? Okay, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here and to continue this journey that we're on, this, this journey of pursuit, pursuing you, God, wanting to be transformed, changed, to become like you, uh, this new life, new vision that you have for us, and that we would just join with you in your mission, not only to be transformed in our personal life, but to make a difference in being the light of the world. And so, God, we pray that today, as we take this next step in this journey, I pray with, uh, for myself, just my mind will be clear, thoughts would flow. I pray for us as we gather around your word, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to things we've never seen before, and we would have a clearer vision of our true name, who you've called us to be, what it means to be a follower. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, our story starts today, about 20 years ago. And uh, he's on a freeway. It's actually an interstate. He's driving south towards a major U.S. city. um, And his mind is beginning to drift. In fact, there's a lot on his mind on this particular day. It's a Wednesday. And he's three days in to a seven-day fast. And so he he has some friends at the church that he attends and they have a young daughter who's going through a major time of crisis in her life that's come up all of a sudden. No one saw it coming. It's really scary. And so he's been praying with them that God would meet them and rescue her and heal her. And as he's been praying about this, he senses that God is calling him to go on a seven-day fast, just a water fast, water-only fast, to seek God for God's intervention in the life of this young girl. And so as he's driving down the interstate, of course, his mind is going to that and praying for this family, praying for this young girl. But he's also uh, finds himself uh, kind of in a strange way that his mind continues to stray off to other friends, too. And he finds himself thinking about a particular friend that he hasn't seen in a while. And he, uh, his heart's going out to this friend and what a great friend he is and how he misses this friend and how... He wishes he could get together and connect and just kind of making a mental note. I I need to make a point to reach out and connect with that person. And then his mind goes back to these friends that he's praying for with their daughter and five, ten more miles down the road, he starts thinking of another friend, a different friend. What a cool person they are. Uh, How he hasn't seen them in a long time. Hey, love to connect with them. Kind of making a mental note. I need to get together with that. And he drives another five, ten miles down the road. And once again, his mind begins to stray to a third friend. And about this point, he has one of those aha moments. You know what I'm talking about? One of those times where suddenly you get this burst of insight. You have a big picture, like, I see what's going on here. Well, today, we are continuing this series that we've been in now for the last five or six weeks called Unfiltered, Revealing the Character of the Kingdom. And if you're brand new, uh, just want to welcome you. We're so glad you're here. You know, every week God is just bringing people uh, that are hungry to grow, hungry to change, hungry to become who they've been made to be, hungry to know God, who he is. And 
So if you're one of those people here today, it's your first time, welcome. But this series, um, this series is actually like, think of it like a second mini-series of a longer-running series. So I often compare it to like the second season of a major TV drama. Um, and and the, major, the series is called Unfiltered. And it's, a, it's a series about Jesus of Nazareth. And what we've been talking about in this series is that often, uh, even as Christ followers, but this is true of everyone, that we can often kind of recreate Jesus in our own image. We all want to claim Jesus. Uh, I was mentioning uh, last night, if you look at Renaissance, uh, Renaissance pictures of Jesus, for example, paintings, that you know, they often portray him as a kind of a blonde-haired European, right? Like, well, obviously he's Middle Eastern Jew, right? He's not going to look like blonde hair, blue eyes. But we all have this natural tendency to recreate Jesus in our own image based on maybe images from our childhood or what we've read or movies we've seen, whatever. And so our goal in this series is really to get an unfiltered view of Jesus, to go back to one of the earliest documents, um, one of the earliest biographies that describes really the life and teaching of Jesus. We call it the Gospel of Matthew, and see if we can capture some new uh, images, some unfiltered images of who Jesus really is, so we know better today who he is, what he taught, what it means to follow him today. So in this second series, topic on the table is the teaching of Jesus. In fact, it's the most famous teaching Jesus ever gave. It's a message called the Sermon on the Mount, which is sort of abbreviated, kind of a, a Cliff Notes version, of a very famous message that Jesus gave, uh, where Jesus begins to lay out his message about his movement. Uh, and so uh, it's, that message starts off with eight kind of surprising statements about the path to life, uh, life to the full. Now, though, if you're in Jewish culture, the way you'd say that is you talk about the blessed life. And so we call these eight statements the Beatitudes, which comes from the Latin for blessing. So today we're looking at the fourth of these eight statements. So if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, why don't you open up, turn them on, um, uh, turn, uh, open up your Bibles, turn on your apps, and... Um, and so uh, we've got a passage there called the fourth beatitude, the passionate hunger. And, and uh, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 5. And as you're turning there, again, like I've done every week, let me set it up. Uh, remember, Jesus has traveled north. He's launched his ministry in the northern part of Israel called the Galilee. And he is traveling from town to town, synagogue to synagogue, sharing his message, his epic message that uh, the kingdom of God, Long promised by the prophets when God would return to the nation, forgive them for their sins, for their rebellion, heal their land, turn all wrongs to right, bring in the new heavens and the new earth, that this kingdom is very near. And not only is he making this audacious claim, but he's backing it up with signs of power, kingdom power, as healing the eyes of the blind, opening the ears of the deaf. And so as a result, you've got hundreds and thousands of people traveling from increasingly big distances to meet this man, to hear his message and understand kind of what it's all about. And so we pick it up there in chapter 5 and verse 1. So when, the, when, the, uh, when Jesus saw the crowds, uh, he went up on the mountainside and he sits down, his disciples come to him. And so as we've talked about, this, this teaching is really for his disciples. He realizes the crowd is there, but this is for people who've chosen to follow him. And he begins to teach them. And so we've gone through these first three Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom. Here and now, you can enter into the kingdom of the heavens. Uh, blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. They'll inherit the, the earth. And so what we've seen 
is that Jesus is reaching deep into uh, Israeli history. He is reaching deep into the prophecy of the prophets for this kingdom that one will one day come. And what the prophets have said, we've been studying this, is that when the kingdom comes, God would rescue his people, the poor and the poor in spirit, the people who are oppressed, the people who are mourning, the people who are meek, who are weak, who are vulnerable, that God would rescue his people. It'd be good news. And Jesus is saying those promises are still true. That kingdom is about to be launched. But today he adds a fourth description to these people who are blessed. And here's what I want you to catch today. Often when we think of the Beatitudes, we think of them as eight different character qualities that are unrelated. As if you could be poor in spirit, but not be, say, pure in heart. But what I want you to catch today is what Jesus is describing is the character of his kingdom. He's describing the person who's part of his kingdom, that's going to follow him in his kingdom, who can be, who can be a part. And this is more like a diamond that has many different facets, you can spin it around and look at that person from several different angles. And so today he's going to tell us the next character quality of this person that can be part of his kingdom. And so we get to the fourth beatitude, and he says in verse 6, blessed are those who what? Hunger and thirst for? Okay, let's say it again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be what? They'll be filled. So he says, blessed are those who are hungry, kind of passionate about uh, hunger for righteousness because they will be filled. So if you're hungry and then you eat a lot, you get full, right? So what he's saying is that, hey, those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, there will come a day when they will be filled. They'll be full. That hunger will be satisfied. Now, of course, this raises the question, well, what does he mean by hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Who are these people and how will they be filled? Now, it's interesting um, because I think what Jesus is saying again is he's building on the first three Beatitudes. And he's saying, hey, this person that can be part of my kingdom, this person who's poor in spirit, this person who is maybe mourning, this person who is meek, this person is also a person, as we spend the diamond, this also is a person who is hungry and thirsty for righteousness. It's interesting today, uh, this week I was, you know, one of the things I'm doing this year, just as one of my spiritual training exercises, um, is uh, I'm listening through the Bible uh, in, in a year with, you know, version. And so um, in the morning when I'm getting ready or on the way to Starbucks or the work or whatever, uh, I'll just listen through kind of the Bible. And so this week I uh, came to uh, Zephaniah. Now, uh, I know that all of you really are familiar with Zephaniah. I, I know that you all know it like the back of my hand, but from time to time I'll forget things in Zephaniah. Um, and, um, you know, think it's like hesitations or something. But uh, anyway, <laughs> it's funny what you can get away with. You know, I've done that before. I've quoted from first hes uh, hesitations, you know, and then like, okay, right, so I take that down. And then and you say, yeah, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Uh, but that's actually Benjamin Franklin. Anyway, um, but, uh, but I came across this incredible passage in Zephaniah, and it's one that I'd forgotten, honestly. And, and the reason is, I and, but what happened is, as I, as I listened to it, in light of Jesus' teaching on the Beatitudes and what we've been learning, it just, like, man, it just jumped out at me. And so I, I want you to look at it there on your note sheet. Because this is another one of those passages 
that uh, is a kingdom passage, right? And so we've been looking at Isaiah and different prophets about this coming of the kingdom, one day when God will return to his people and restore them and forgive their sins and heal their land and bring in the new heavens and new earth. And so the prophets, if you've read the prophets, you know, like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, all these prophets, they're full of this. You know, there's, there's, they're full of this promise. And so uh, this was a passage in Zephaniah, but it just stood out to me so much in light of what we've been learning. It says, uh, on that day, so you know, the prophets often talk about the day of Yahweh, the day of the Lord, when, when God returns. So, so on that day, Jerusalem will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me. Okay, so, so the nation of Israel is in rebellion. They've gone into exile, and they've been put to shame because of the rebellion. But he says, on that day, that I will remove that shame. Words, I will forgive you. And he says, I, uh, he says, because I will remove from this city those who rejoice in their what? In their pride. And so remember we talked about the humble, right? The poor in spirit. Well, the opposite of that is the proud. Those who are arrogant, those who go their own way, who reject God's leadership. And so here's what I want you to catch. On the day of Yahweh, when God returns to his people, it will be good news for the poor in spirit. It will be bad news for the proud and arrogant. Are you with me? Because if you're proud and arrogant and you're rejecting God's leadership and you want to continue to oppress people and so on and do evil, then he's going to wipe you out. And so the day of the Lord is both good news and bad news. And so he said, Uh, He said, never again will you be haughty or proud on my holy hill in Jerusalem. He said, but I will leave within you. So when the Lord comes, he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak, and he's going to get rid of the haughty, but look who he's going to leave. He says, I will leave within you the whom? The meek and the humble. Does that sound familiar? Did we study last week? Blessed are the meek. And we talked about that word, prouse, and we went to Matthew 11, where Jesus said, take my yoke upon me, because I am prouse, meek, and humble. And guess what? The words for meek and humble in Matthew 11 are the exact same words here as in Zephaniah in the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint that was used by the early church. And so Jesus, what I want you to catch is Jesus is plugging into the story of Israel. The day when God would return to his nation and he would restore the meek. He would restore, restore those who mourn. He would restore, but he's also going to restore the right, those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness. So we go on. So I'll leave with you in the meek and humble who trust in the name of Yahweh. Like who trust in the Lord. And he says, the remnant of Israel will do no What? wrong. You see, this person who is meek, who is mourning, the person who is uh, poor in spirit, they're also the person who is longing for what's right and true and good, who will pursue righteousness. And God says that, that, that uh, the remnant of Israel will do no wrong. They'll speak no lies, nor will deceit be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. So what I want you to catch this is the vision of the prophets. Right? I want to keep going back. This is a story. This was the story Jesus was born into. This was the story he came to fulfill. How will the story of Israel and the coming of the kingdom of the heavens, how will that happen? Jesus, I am here, and he begins to announce, blessed 
are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, who've been oppressed. Blessed are those who are meek. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for all wrongs to be turned right because I have come to launch the kingdom. Are you with me? Okay, so what we want to do then uh, today is I want to do a couple things in our time together. I want to talk about what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness. When Jesus says, uh, bless those who hunger, and catch this, when he says blessed, remember, this is a path to life. So he says, if you want to live life to the full, if you want to experience all God has for you, you need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. So what does he mean by that? Uh, and then uh, a couple principles on that, make sure we're clear on that. And then we're going to come back and ask a couple of questions to really kind of bring the message, put it on the, on the bottom shelf, say, for our lives today, how do we respond? So there in your note sheet, you have a section called the Passionate Hunger, two key principles. Let's jump in. The first thing that jumps out to me today, and it's so important, is that the kingdom, or this hunger that Jesus is talking about, this, this hunger for righteousness, this hunger is both personal and cosmic, now, I think we get the personal part, right? So this is what we're going to take some lenses off. I'm going to have unfiltered view. As modern-day Christ followers in the 21st century, we get the personal righteousness part, at least to a large degree. Like when we read, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you know, what comes to your mind? What are the images that come to you? I think for most Christ followers, we would look at this. Well, what Jesus says is, blessed are those who are really pursuing God in their life. Blessed are those who spend time with him and are seeking him, maybe in the word and prayer. Blessed are those who worship him. Blessed are those who are using their gifts to, to serve him. Blessed are those who, who give generously to his kingdom. Blessed are those who turn away from the dark side. They put sexual immorality out of their life. They stop gossiping. They don't lie so we tend to see this in terms of personal righteousness. Are you, are you with me here? Blessed are those who we, and so uh, all of this, life, you'd be teaching this, we would be focusing on what does it look like to pursue God and become a righteous person. Now here's what I want you to catch. That is absolutely true because there is no corporate or cosmic righteousness apart from personal righteousness. Like righteousness has to start from the inside out. We we're called to be transformed, to be like Jesus, right? And, to, and so, so, so it starts there, right? And so, yes, that is true. But here's the part we need to take some lenses off. What we tend to miss as modern-day Christ followers is the righteousness that Jesus is talking about is both personal and cosmic. In other words, our vision for righteousness is very small. Like, let me give you an example. Right now, we have a crisis going on in our country in Virginia, right? A lot of you have probably heard of it over in Charlottesville, I think Charlottesville. Um, and there is this, this crisis, and to a large degree, it's, it's a racial crisis, right? It's a, it's a crisis of um, those who uh, believe certain races are more valuable than others, right? And, and there's this crisis, this horrendous violence that's gone on, right? And what I want you to catch is Jesus' vision for righteousness is not just that you and I would be right with God, but that all creation would be healed so that that sort of thing would never happen again. Like his vision is so much bigger than just our personal relationship. So our story is important, but our story is important because the, the part it plays in the bigger story of what God's doing to heal all creation. And so here's what I want you to catch. When Jews of Jesus' day 
would hear him talking about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, they wouldn't hear just personal righteousness. They would hear cosmic righteousness. And the reason they would hear this is because this was the message of the prophets. And what I want you to I would say, I want to give you a couple examples from the Old Testament. We could go to a million examples. But this is a story Jesus was a part of. This was a story he came to fulfill. This was the Bible he read. So let me give you a couple examples. The first example there in your notes is from Isaiah 11. Now this is actually, even if you've never read the Old Testament, chances are you're familiar with this because we read it on Christmas cards every year. So let me set it up. So uh, we're a couple hundred years um, past, two or three hundred years past the time of King David. Of course, when King David uh, came to, when he's on the throne, remember God promised him from his line, God would raise up a, a dynasty of kings from his, his bloodline, and that one day there would be a king who would rule all, the, all creation, right? And so it's kind of a prophecy about Messiah. Um, and so uh, God will and God said, I'll be a father to him, he'll be a son to me, and so on. And so, but now we're a couple hundred years down the line, and most of the kings in the Davidic line have been bad kings, and as a result, the nation is about to go into exile, into Babylon, disaster. <laughs> but Isaiah looks into the future. He's going to compare the nation of Israel to an olive tree. Now, we've talked about olive trees before in this series, how they can live hundreds and thousands, even thousands of years, and they can grow very large, but they're hollow on the inside, and because of that, they're vulnerable. They can get blown over, knocked over, cut down, burned up, whatever. But the crazy thing about an olive tree is that it often will kind of regenerate, and, and from that stump, a shoot will come up that will create a new tree. And so Isaiah is going to use that analogy. He says, from the stump of Jesse. So who is Jesse? David's father. From the line of David, a, a shoot will come up, and he is going to bring in the new heavens and the new earth. It's a promise of the kingdom. And so let's, let's see what he says. So he says, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And now he's going to talk about how the Holy Spirit is going to anoint this descendant of David with, uh, to empower him for his, to bring in the kingdom. And so he says, the spirit of Yahweh will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, kind of coming under the leadership of Yahweh. And, and remember, when did the spirit come upon Jesus to anoint him for his, his kingdom ministry? Baptism, good. And so um, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. But catch this, one of the rules, one of the roles of a king in ancient times was to be a judge, the ultimate judge of right and wrong and to render judgments. And so, so he says, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. In other words, just by appearances. But with what? Can you circle that for me? The coming kingdom is one of the marks of this king, kingdom is that he will judge uh, with righteousness. But with righteousness, he will judge whom? The needy. Does that sound familiar? Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Right? Blessed are the afflicted. He says, so uh, with the righteousness, he will judge the needy. And with justice, he will give decisions for the poor. Can you circle that? The poor of the earth. And, uh, and for those who are evil, as we talked about before, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he will, he will uh, slay the wicked. If you're going to turn all wrongs to right, you have to remove everyone who doesn't want to submit to your leadership and to be right. And we talked last week how Jesus is both tough and tender. 
And so when he comes in power to restore his kingdom in all its fullness, he's going to destroy the wicked because you can't have a new heavens and new earth that with, with righteousness reigns if there's wicked around. And it says, so they look at it, how it describes this Messiah, this king. Righteousness will be his belt. You circle that? He will be a righteous king. He will bring righteousness to all creation. Faithfulness is sashed on his waist. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. So now we start moving into this new heavens and new earth. The end of the story that we always talk about here. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. A little child will heal them. And so as Isaiah says in other places, the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. All wrongs turn to right. This is the prophetic vision. And so when Jesus is talking about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, he's not just talking about personal righteousness, my relationship with God. Yes, it starts there, but he's talking about kingdom righteousness, where all wrongs are turned to right. Let me give you another example. I'm spending some time on this. We could just stop here. But I'm I'm spending some time because it's so hard to take the filters off that only see it as personal righteousness and don't see this bigger picture, the story that the Bible's telling. And so this the second is a psalm, it's a psalm, the second passage is a psalm, it's a psalm for King Solomon. Now, of course, Solomon was the son of David, and so he's sort of a picture of the coming Messiah. And so it's a prayer for, for this coming kingdom of God. And so look what it says: Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your what? Your righteousness. Remember what Jesus said? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Remember that. So the royal son of the righteous, may he, this king, may he judge your people in what? Righteousness, just like we just read. And your afflicted ones, remember the afflicted, blessed are those who mourn. The afflicted ones with justice, may he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the whom? The needy, the poor, may he crush the oppressor, for he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the whom? Weak, right? Remember we saw the meek is weak last week? It can, can be. Uh, and the needy will, and will save the needy from death. He will rescue from, them, from their oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Here's what I want you to catch. That God's vision is to restore all of creation. We live in a fallen, messed up world. We live in a world of impression and violence and prejudice and evil. We're rich, oppress the poor, where we hate one another. Uh, we live in a world of disease and destruction and where the needy struggle and people starve to death and they don't have clean water. We live in a fallen world and God's vision is to bring righteousness to all of creation. And so when Jesus came and said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he is not just saying for personal righteousness, but we hunger and thirst for the coming of the kingdom, when the poor will be rescued, when the oppressed will be saved, when those who are mourning will be comforted, and where the evil will be destroyed. You see? So, (coughs) that's the first principle, that this Righteous is both personal and cosmic. Number two, the second thing I want you to catch is this, this hunger that Jesus is describing. So this hunger and thirst for righteousness. This hunger is passionate. 
notice what Jesus said. He does not say, blessed are those who nibble <laughs> on the hors d'oeuvres. He's blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Can I tell you something? We'll come back to this later. But you and I were created for passion. We were created to live passionate lives. And there is one passion that is to rule all other passions. And that's our passion for him and for his righteousness. And so Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, both personal and cosmic. So, um, I love this word picture because we can all relate, right? We've all been hungry and thirsty. We can all relate. You can probably remember times in your life you're so hungry and thirsty, all you could think about was your next meal or what you could get or what you could drink. I mean, it's crazy. Like even like Taco Bell sounds good at a time like that. Right? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, but if you work there, in and out. Um, anyway, so, so no, you see what I'm saying? That when, we, when we're really hungry, that anything sounds, that's why they say, like, don't go shopping, grocery shopping when you're hungry, because you end up at home, like the next day, it's like, why did I get all this stuff? Everything looked good. Uh, and so uh, it's how it works. So when we get really hungry, we get focused in. And we start becoming passionate about food. You know, we started the day with the story of this man driving southbound on an interstate, Volkswagen van. Don't know if I mentioned that. Volkswagen van uh, heading towards a major city. This is actually a story from my own life. So if we go back in time about 20 years that uh, I was on staff, I was one of the pastors at, at a, a large church in the San Diego area. And, uh, and so uh, we had some friends, and they had a daughter who was suddenly going through a time of great crisis, really unforeseen, very unpredictable, hard to understand what was going on. And so, you know, we were meeting with them and praying with them. And in that process, I just felt like God was calling me, uh, and he'll do this sometimes in my life, just to go on a seven-day kind of water-only fast for her healing, right, for whatever's going on for that to be. It was just a very scary time. And so, um, and so I did. So, so now it's like Wednesday. I'm three days into this fast. And I'm driving down. I'm working on my master's degree at this point uh, at a seminary in San Diego. So two or three times a week, I would be driving down there, my Volkswagen bug, uh, or Volkswagen van, rather. Uh, and, and yet people ask me, oh, did you surf? Like, a little bit. All right. So, uh, I, so I drive down there. And so um, on this drive, of course, I'm thinking about these friends. And I'm thinking about this young girl. I'm praying for her. But what was weird is I kept on thinking about other friends, too. This like was not normal for me like to have this channel. But I, I, well, I was thinking about this particular person. It's like, I haven't seen that guy in a long time. And he's such an amazing guy, and I, I love that guy. And we, we, need to re- we need to get together, you know. And, and then, you know, you drive five, ten more miles, and it's like, oh, you know, we haven't seen, Lynn and I haven't got together with that couple in a while. And they're just such amazing people, and we really need to connect. I need to make a mental note. And you go five, ten more miles, it happens again. And finally, about the third time, it's like, what is going on here? And all of a sudden, I realized that every time I was visualizing getting together, it was over a meal, It was like, I need to get to have breakfast for that. We need to together get some coffee. We need to together and go out for dinner. And what my mind was doing, what my brain was doing was like, uh, hey, note to uh, Michael Yearly, uh, you're not eating. And you may have reasons for that, but I need to get around that. And so my brain starts generating 
all these mental pictures of food with friends to try to get me to start eating again. And this is how it works. When you're really hungry and when you're really thirsty, that you become very passionate about food. You become very focused about where's that next meal's coming from. And this is why in the Bible you see it time and time again, God often uses this picture of hunger and thirst to describe the kind of passion that he's created us for, for him and for what's right and true and good. So for example, uh, Jesus, we saw this in our first series in Unfiltered, Jesus fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. At the end, he's hungry. Satan comes to him, turn the stones into bread. Remember what he says? He quotes from from Deuteronomy chapter 8, when Israel's in the wilderness and learning to trust God for their food. And here's what he said. He said, man does not live by bread alone. In other words, Satan, you, you want me to stop trusting God right now? You want to take my life in my own hands, break this fast, turn these stones in? He says, but hey, there's some things in life more important than food itself. And what's more important than food itself is learning to hang on every word of God to learn to listen and follow. And this is my father has led me here. He's led me to this wilderness. I'm trusting him. When the fast is over, he will show me when that time has come. I cannot take matters in my, I need to be obedient and hang on the words of God. So he said, there's some passions in life that are, are more important than even our passion for food after 40 days of not eating. And that's a passion for the word of God and our relationship with God. Um, you think of another one in Psalm 42. Um, there's a famous psalm I'm sure many of you have read before. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go? I mean, this is psalmist. I'm just, I'm just thirsty, God. I'm like, I'm, like a, I'm like one of those little ibex deers you see in Israel that they're just, they're out in the wilderness and they haven't been able to find water for a long time. They're just panting because they're, they're longing for water. And I, can, I see that it's like, that's how I feel right now. I'm just thirsty for you. Where can I go and not find water, but where can I go and find you? And so this, this imagery becomes very powerful that God uses to say, hey, this is what you're created for. You're created for passion, but your passion that's higher than all other passions, your passion for me, for knowing me, for growing to be like me, and for being part of what I'm doing in the world to bring righteousness to the world. So, okay, so that's all groundwork. Now, let's talk about our lives, right? Let's talk about how we take what Jesus saying, blessed are those who are hungry and thirsting for righteousness, both personal and cosmic uh, truly passionate about this, uh, how do we break that down and say, how does that fit for our lives? So there in your note sheet, you have a section called the passion, hunger, two, two key questions. And I just want to ask a couple questions to bring this home. Uh, the first question is, is um, how big is your vision? How big is your vision? So here's the thing. I, I think that for kind of an average churchgoer Christian in America, that if you were to go and say, hey, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? That we would often have a very, what I would call, truncated answer. Now, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a wrong answer. It's just sort of a kind of an immature, Im, uh, kind of emaciated answer. So let, let me tell you what I mean. Like if I were to go, let's say you have a four-year-old, and I were to ask you, hey, could you draw me uh, a picture of some kids playing on a beach? And I gave them some crayons and whatever. They, they would draw me a picture. And if you, most likely, 
It's not going to have perspective. It's not going to have, uh, there's no 3D. You know, it's, it's, it's not going to have any dimensions. It's going to be stick figures, right? Some stick figures on the beach. And so, and so that's fine. You're four years old. That's fine. That's, that's great. Good job. That's a picture, right? But, but as they grow, as they become like, say, a professional artist or they become like a graphic artist or a, a motion graphics person, they're going to be able to create, if I say create for me a scene with, stu- with, us, with children on a beach, you're going to present something amazing, right? It's going to be like, um, maybe, maybe when they're going to project it on the screen, it's going to be like the beauty of this beautiful uh, ocean scene where it's, it's uh, being projected in 4K on your TV in 3D, and it's so rich, and it's so moving, and it's so profound. What a incredible shot. Now, both are, both are pictures of the same thing, but one is the picture of a four-year-old, and one is a mature adult with incredible skills. Are you with me here? Same picture. Here's a, I believe here in America, often our picture, our vision of what it means to be a Christian is more like the four-year-olds than the 3D. And here's what I mean. I think for, for many Christians in America, if we were to ask, hey, what, is your, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? The answer would go something like this. It would say, well, it means that you believe Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah, right. It means that you believe he came and died for our sins, right? It means if you ask Jesus in your heart and ask him to forgive your sins, you'll go to heaven when you die. Now, that's sort of like the four-year-old stick figure answer, right? It's not that it's wrong. It's not that the four-year-old is wrong. It's just very thin. It's very truncated. It's emaciated. What we want to do is move from that picture to 4K, 3D. And that's the picture Jesus is giving us. To do that, you have to go back to the story of God, the story of Israel. You have to go back to Zephaniah. You have to go back to Isaiah. You have to go back to Psalms. You have to step into the story of Israel and the story of Jesus and the story of the new creation, the heavens and the earth. And when you step into that, this picture becomes 3D. And now we understand that Jesus has come to turn all wrongs to right. And yes, when we come to Jesus through his death and resurrection, we're able to be forgiven, absolutely. But that's just the first step of our journey. We come to Jesus, we're forgiven, we receive the gift of the Spirit. Now we enter into what? A transformation process. Remember renewal at the beginning of the year? We become renewed to be like our creator. And as we become like our creator and change in our core character, we become, guess what? The light of the world. And we become a picture of this is how life is to be lived. And then we become a force for what is right and good and true in all of creation. And we become the people who speak to situations like in Charlottesville and say, no, 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 that is the old world. That's the fallen world. We, Jesus has come to bind up. There is neither Jew nor Greek, right? There is neither Gentile. Or Jew, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither female or male. We come to announce a new day when the kingdom of God is coming. We announce a new day when Jesus has come to break down the barriers between all people, to teach us how to love and to serve and to take care of the poor and the oppressed. We come to announce the coming of the kingdom of God. You see? And so followers of Jesus... Followers of Jesus are to be at the forefront of this new kingdom movement, bringing the righteousness of God to all creation. And so when Jesus calls us to seek first 
his kingdom and his righteousness, the question is what comes to our mind? Does it come to our mind a checklist of, hey, did I have my personal devotions today? Did I not swear today? Did I not? You you see what I'm saying? Kind of a checklist mentality where you come, oh, this is a vision that God has come to restore us to be the people we were created to be, to we love and are passionate about what all is good and right and true. And we don't just want to believe in Jesus. We don't want to be transformed to be like Jesus. And then we want to go out and join him in his kingdom ministry of restoring all creation. That is a big vision. And that is a compelling vision. And men and women, until we find our story in his story, we will all live small lives. But once we begin to understand the story he's telling and realize that we each have a part to play in that story, our vision becomes large. I think this is why in the last 20, 30 years, you've seen such a beautiful thing happening in the movement of Jesus, at least here in our country, I've seen it, where more and more Christ followers are understanding, I think intuitively, that following Jesus is more than my personal righteousness, as, as important as that is. And don't, don't misunderstand me. There can be no transformation of culture without personal transformation. So if we're not changed to be like Jesus, we have no power to make a difference. So of course we, we build our, our house on personal transformation. But more and more Christ followers are realizing that to be a follower of Jesus, it can't be us for and no more. We just go to church and stay in our Christian bubble that we have to go out, like we've been telling stories, we have to go out into prisons. We have to go to places like Haiti. We, we have to dig water wells in Africa. We have to help rescue people from slave trade. We have to help young kids who are growing up without any parents. They go, we, we have to help the poor. This is part of our calling. As fall, this is what it means to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, not just personal righteousness, but to go out and be the light of the world. So the question is, what, how big is your vision? What does it mean to you to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be part of his kingdom? I think Jesus is helping us redefine that. The second question is, how strong is your passion? Now I love this because Jesus says, Blessed are those who what? Hunger. Yeah, I'm sorry. He said, Jesus said a lot of things. You're like, which thing? Uh, <laughs> like, that's a trick question. Uh, let's say it again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. So I point out, he did not, blessed are those who nibble. Right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. We talk about, it's a passion for, for, for righteousness. And so the question then is, how strong is your passion? I really believe this, that you and I are created for passion. Like, in other words, if you're bored with life, I would say something is wrong. Now, I think you know me. I, I'm not saying it all like, shame on you, bad person, get with the program. I'm just giving you a diagnosis. That if you're bored with life, something is wrong. Because you were created for passion. Like, you were created to wake up in the morning and be excited about being part of something great. And about playing an important role. I was talking with a man after the service last night. He was talking about, what's my big vision? And it's like, I, no, I, don't, I don't mean 
that each of us has to be the person on CNN, CNN you know, some huge thing. It's like, like uh, this guy was a truck driver. I said, you know, if your truck breaks down, it doesn't really matter whether it's a big part, you know, the alternator or a small part. It's like if the truck's broken, it's broken. We all have a part to play. It's not about us having this amazing thing when we all go out and start this new ministry. It's about us playing the important part in this big vision. And when you understand that you're playing an important part in something really important and big, it gives your life meaning and purpose. It's what we were created for. It's what the Bible teaches. And so the question is, how great is your passion? Let's talk about for personal righteousness. Do you have a passion for personal righteousness? Like when you come to church here, are you hungry to grow? Are you coming in kind of metaphorically, at least sitting on the edge of your seat, God, what are you going to say to me today? Or are, when you come to church, are you just sort of like, yeah, it's Sunday. Nah, that's what we do. Okay. Again, hear me. I'm not a guilt monger. Right? It's like, I, I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. I'm helping you to diagnose. It's like if you're come to church and you're not hungry to grow, if you're not coming, God, what are you going to say to me today? I'm hungry. Then something is wrong. You know, one of the things that irritates me the most, and I told you last week I'm working on compassion, right? So, but one of the things that irritates me the most is uh, from time to time, this doesn't happen a lot, but from time to time, I'll have someone here that uh, comes to Rocky Peak and they come to Jesus and their life is radically transformed and they're just passionate about him. And then I will have them come to me six months in or a year in or something and say, hey, can I just talk with you? About They'll email me and say, hey, can we talk about this? Because... Um, other Christians in my life that have been Christians, they're coming and they're telling me that this is just a stage. And they're telling me, hi, well, that's good. You know, you're really passionate. We were all like that once. Um, but you know, you'll grow out of it. And what's happening is this mediocre, half-baked, lost the passion, doesn't know their Bible, doesn't love Jesus, Christian, is trying to justify their lack of passion by telling this newer believer, oh, that's not normal. Now, I get this. When you first come to Jesus, you go through a radical transformation, just like in any relationship, like a, a honeymoon or when you first fall in love, there's going to be a rocket blast stage to that. I get that. I, I'm not saying it. But men, when we were created for passion, and Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Remember, what he's saying is the path to life leads through the gates of passion. And if you're not passionate about Jesus and, and starting with your, so your personal transformation, you're not passionate about the word, you're not passionate about prayer, you're not passionate about worship, you're not passionate about service or about giving. If you're not passionate about what you're growing and how you're learning and what God's doing in your life, I just want to say something is wrong. That's not normal. That's what Jesus would call lukewarm. And that's not a good thing. And then what about cosmic righteousness? Are you passionate about that? Do you care about the poor? Do you care about these situations in the world? Is your heart growing, becoming a world Christian? And do you care about righteousness in society? Do you care about oppression? Do you care about injustice? 
Do you care about those who are suffering? Right? So Jesus says what's normative, the path to life, is you are hungering and thirsting for what's right and true and good, both in your own life and in culture. And in fact, Jesus says there in your note sheet, we've talked about this verse a couple of times, but in Matthew 6.33, he says we're to seek what? First, his kingdom. In other words, we're going to have all kinds of passions in life. You might be, I'm passionate about motorcycles. I love motorcycles. Right? I, just, I just see them. I just love them. I can't take my, you know, hey, so this goes one. What kind is it? Right? Get motorcycle magazines. Love riding motorcycles. I'm passionate about motorcycles. Right? Well, so you may be passionate about something else. You may be passionate about shopping, or maybe you're passionate about, maybe you're passionate about this or that, or the NFL, or video games, or you're, that's awesome. Great. You know, we, we have passions in life. But what Jesus says is there needs to be one passion that rules them all. There's one passion. We're more passionate about Jesus and his kingdom than we are about our careers or about our kids or about our marriage or about our day. Jesus, he wants to so consume our heart and capture our affections that our number one passion in life, we want to know him, we want to please him, we want to love him, and we want to join with him and bring all heaven and earth under his leadership so that the kingdom of God can come. And that is our driving passion of our life. Mm. And so the question I have, how's your passion? Now, again, you know, this is not a guilt thing. Not a guilt thing. It's a diagnosis thing. See, if you go to the doctor, we've all had this experience, and you're not feeling well. What's the doctor going to ask you? One of the questions he's likely going to ask you is, how is your appetite? And the reason is, For most people, if you're healthy, you'll have a healthy appetite. If you're losing your appetite, it's a sign that something is wrong. And it's true in the spiritual realm, true. If we're not hungry and thirsty, then it's a sign something is wrong. And say, so what do I do? Well, you need to go to Doc Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, I have not come for the healthy I've come for the sick. And so here's the thing. The first step to growth then and restoring our passion is we have to quit defending our lack of passion. As long as we pretend it's normal that I am more passionate about the NFL or video games than I am about Jesus or my growth, as long as we want to pretend that's normal, then we'll never get better. As long as we want to pretend that I'm more passionate about this deal I'm getting or shopping or whatever this thing is, my kids, than I am about Jesus and his kingdom, my career. As long as I pretend that's normal, then we'll never get better because you don't go to the doctor. But if you come to Doc Jesus, then the first step is to say, hey, I think there's something wrong. And that's the first step. And guess what? When we do that, Jesus will never condemn us. Do you remember what we learned last week? Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for I am prous and humble, and you will find rest for your souls. He will not condemn. He will welcome you to his office. And he'll say, tell me about that. Describe your symptoms. And then he will put his arm around you and say, here's what you need to do. And he will begin to give you the steps for you to capture and regain your passion. I love what uh, the famous uh, counselor, Christian counselor, uh, Larry Crabb puts there. 
He says, uh, we cannot generate true passion for God by an act of the will. No, No formulas will produce the passion we're after. Seasons of fasting, regular times in the word, discipline, resistance to temptation, generous giving, exuberant worship, these are all good things, but they're not enough to fill us with passion for Christ. True passion, catch this, is for Lord, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. Would you underline that? This is a supernatural thing. I am not asking you to go out there and generate passion. What I'm asking you is to go to Doc Jesus and say, what do I need to do? Like something's wrong. And look what he says next. He says, not many of us know the powerful work of God's spirit because even though God draws us into loving relationship with him, we need to what? Can you circle that? Cooperate. What does that mean? When you cooperate with your doctor, you're honest about your symptoms and then you take his advice. That's when he needs to cooperate, right? And so what will it look like for you to cooperate with Jesus to restore this passion? I don't know. That's between you and Jesus. For some of you, he may say, hey, you know what? You're living such a distracted life. And the reason you've lost your passion is you're just too busy and you're too distracted. And so if we're going to restore that, here's your prescription. You need to start setting aside some time with me on a regular basis to read my word and to pray and to listen to my voice and to reflect on your life because we're going to restore your passion through that that training process. For others of you, they say, hey, there." There's this area of sin in your life, this area of disobedience. I talked to you about it five years ago. You blew me off, and you blew me off for so long that your heart became hard until you've even forgotten about that. But if you want your passion back, we have to go back and have a conversation about that. You need to surrender that area of your life because you're never going to be able to regain your passion when you gave your passion to a false god. For others of us, you know what he's going to do? He's going to say, here's what it is. You were created for a purpose. I've called you for a purpose. And I want you to get out of your bubble. And I want you to start serving others this particular ministry. You know, maybe it's kids ministry here. We talked about that. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's like uh, some of these people, these visions, we, the uh, videos we've been showing. Maybe it's a prison ministry. Maybe it's a, a, a homeless shelter. Maybe it's with unwed moms. But it could be a million things, but Jesus is this. Is, and, and what's going to happen is you get out of your little world and you begin to see the world that's hurting and God begins to flow his mercy and grace and hope through you. You're going to become passionate. And, and like we saw with Mike last week on the, on the screen where he said, when I got in that prison, he said, I just knew. He said, it sounded like a cliche, but I knew this is what I was being called to do. You see? For some of you, it's going to deal with your finances. The reason there's no passion in your life is you've never surrendered your finances. Jesus, you cannot love, serve God in money, and you've never really surrendered that to him to how you, how you make it, how you, uh, how you give it, how you save it, how you spend it. And, and Jesus, that's going to be your thing. We need to talk about this. This is your God. I could go on and on with other examples, but you get the, the feeling there is no one prescription. When you go to Doc Jesus, it's not like one size fits all. The Holy Spirit is going to show you If you want to know, I believe the Holy Spirit will show you. And here's the thing. I would just encourage you to listen and follow and don't try to do too much too fast. You know, there's there's always that kind of person that says, I want to run a marathon. So I'm going out tomorrow. I'm running 15 miles. (laughs) What do you know about that? Number one, they're probably going to drop dead. But if they don't, they're going to stop training. That's just too big a leap. Jesus is very gentle. And when he starts to ignite your passion, it's going to be one step at a time, a small step. Remember, his yoke is not 
burdensome. It's light. So don't necessarily be looking for a huge thing. Maybe for you, it's going to be five minutes a day with him. Maybe it's going to be, hey, just check out this ministry. Just start volunteering. This one, I don't know what it's going to be, but it could just be a small step. But here's the thing. As you follow Jesus and listen and follow one step, he'll lead to the next step. He'll lead to the next step. And can I tell you something? A year from now, we will not recognize you. Your family won't recognize you. And it didn't happen because you changed overnight and went from bored Christian to passionate Christian. It happened because you started listening and following one step at a time. Now, today, as we bring this to a close, we're going to be celebrating communion today, right? And this is just a beautiful time. As the band comes out, it's a beautiful time for you to reflect on these two questions. How big is my vision? How strong is my passion? And this is a great time to come to Doc Jesus because what we're doing in communion, we're remembering the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. By his death, all this is possible. Our forgiveness, our renewal, the recreation of all creation, it's all made possible by the death of Jesus, by the sacrifice of So through his righteousness, we are able to be made righteous, Right? And so Jesus calls us in. And so as we go today to communion around the room, we've got tables around the room, and during worship, we're going to get up and, and go and pray and so on. Here, I want to just invite you, hey, let's have a conversation with Doc Jesus. And if you're, if, you're not, if you're not liking where you're at, if your vision is too small, and can I tell you something? My vision's always too small. I need to have this conversation with him all the time. It's like I get, I get too small, right? So if your vision is too small, your passion has is, is grown weak, then what a beautiful time then to go and say, Jesus, you died for me. Thank you for dying for me that I could be forgiven and I could be renewed. And as I come now to your body and your blood, as I eat your flesh and drink your blood, as you said, I, I want to receive not just your life, but your vision. I want you. And I want to be like you. And I want to take you in. And I want to take your kingdom righteousness in. And I want to take your value, your vision for creation in. And I want to take your vision for my life and person in. And I want to take in uh, your just love for the world. And I want to grow in my hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And so we come today to receive from him. Now, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you know this is for you. If you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to get up, move to the side, find a place to pray, but I encourage you not to participate in communion because communion is something that we do as followers of Jesus to say, you died for me, I've trusted you, I'm reminding myself of the realities I live under. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then that's, that's not apply to you yet, Right? But here's the thing. If you're here today and you say, I want in, I want to become a follower of Jesus, I want to be forgiven, I want to enter a transformation process, I want to become like him, and I want to be used by him to help change the world, then there is no better way than to come to communion and to say, Lord, I, I, I take you into my life. I receive you into my life as represented by these elements. So would you stand with me? We're going to pray together. And then we're going to be going around the room during worship to receive the, the, the elements. So we celebrate the, the body and blood of Christ. It's broken for us, given for us. And what I'd encourage you is as you go, just to use this time to be with the Lord. Find a quiet place. You know, go to a wall, come to the front, get some time, and spend with him. And ask those two questions. Ask him to meet you. Let's pray. 
Father, we come in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. We come on the basis of his life and death and resurrection. We thank you we can enter into the holy of holies, into your very presence because of the sacrifice, the life, the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us. And not just for us, God, but for all of creation to heal and restore it. We thank you that through the blood of Christ, the demonic powers were defeated. We're thankful that through the, the, the blood of Christ, the kingdom was initiated. And so, Father, we pray that today we would go deeper. We'd receive you in, not just for forgiveness, but for transformation, your vision. We pray you'd meet us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, we thank you that you are good. You are thoroughly good. You're the creative God who spoke over creation. And after day one, you said it is good. And day two, you said it's good. And day three, you said it's good. And then at the end, you said it is very good. God, we just thank you for this incredible vision to restore all of creation to that which is completely good again. And that we would be part of that. We'd be transformed to be like you, this good God, in a thoroughly deep and transformed, renovative way. God, not just good looking on the outside, but good to the core, transformed to be like you. And that we would go out and be part of your force to bring what is right and true and good light of the world. And so God, we pray that as we bring you our gifts, our offering, as we enter in this time and we pray for a deeper hunger and thirst to join you in your mission, God, that you would meet us as we seek you both for this personal righteousness, transformation, healing, but also for the restoration of all things. We pray this in your name. Amen. Father, that's our prayer today, that we would come and fill this place, and not just this physical building, but to fill this place of our hearts. God, we just want to open our hearts to you and say we want to be hungry and thirsty and passionate for the right things. You have set us a path to life until we are running with passion in the, the path that we have created to run. We will never experience the blessed life, the full life. Well, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I just want to speak to you and say, can you pray that today? Is that the prayer of your heart? God, come and fill this place. We can go into Jesus' doctor's office anytime we want. We can come in messed up. Remember what he, what he said at the start of this whole sermon. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the spiritual zeros. Blessed are the spiritual bankrupt. It is not a problem to come in and say there is something wrong. The only problem is, is when we refuse and we want to hold on to our pride and our arrogance and pretend that we are not, there's not something wrong. And so the question I have for you today is, is that the prayer of your heart? God, here I am. It's as I am. I'm not where you need to be, but come and fill this place. Because I believe if you're sincere about that, he will. And he'll come and he'll begin to show you the next steps in this journey. And so, God, we come today as your people in your place. We pray that you would make this place a city on a hill. God, we pray that we would be a light of the world. We pray that here at this church, God, we would be passionate about you and what you care about the most. And that because we're transformed, that others would be transformed as the work of the Holy Spirit flows out from this place. So God, we pray that you would pour out on this place a passion for your kingdom, a passion for your righteousness, both personal and cosmic. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Hey, so good to be with you today, to worship with you, to see God together. I hope you can join us next week as we continue this journey. Blessed are the merciful. We'll be talking about the two sides of mercy, God's vision for our life. 
Uh, on the right of our uh, both auditoriums, uh, you've got uh, prayer teams, badges on. Love to pray with you about anything. Until next week, may the Lord be with you. May he fill you with his passion for righteousness. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. See you then.